Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In Season 3, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest on resilience is coach, author, and content marketer, George Kalantzis. As George states, my father, he did the best with what he knew at the time, told me to man up at six years old. What does that even mean to a six-year-old boy back in 1990? So I inherited the story of, okay, whatever I do, it's never going to be enough. So I need to create an event that tells people that I am enough. Uh, well, I'm George Kalantis, for people who don't know me. On the surface, you know, I am an entrepreneur, I'm a dad, I'm an author, I'm a personal coach. But I think deeper than the surface, you know, I'm just a man trying to live his life filled with passion and purpose. And that brings me to what my mission is. My mission today is to really empower entrepreneurs to really unlock that inner freedom, to really, you know, reach their unlimited potential. And that really came recently over the last few years through my own journey, um, through, you know, hitting rock bottom and discovering who I was and what I've been through. And it brings me here today. So author, coach, you know, writer, whatever. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, you know, I love the piece. So thank you so much for contributing to my interview series with Authority Magazine and Thrive Global, uh, Rising Through Resilience, How to Be Resilient During Turbulent Times. What I found really intriguing was that one quote about every choice you make comes with a consequence, that your life mm. and your pain experiences are unique. Can you speak more deeply about that? Yeah. So... I think many of us, you know, are really caught inside our mind around uh, how life, quote unquote, should be, right? So we're always creating an identity based upon past experiences or the way that we think that we need to live in the future. And this really creates this reflection of our in the time moment. So in the grand scheme of things, if you think about every choice you have made has put you where you are on this earth right now. It does not mean that you have to condone the things that have happened or if you've gone through really hard times. What I'm simply saying is the choices you have made, regardless of the circumstance or the event, has led you to where you're at, right? And, you know, there's a, there's a lot to be said in that. Yeah. And also you point to this idea of grieving through the transition, which it's so intriguing because usually grief is something that people, it's like a standstill. 
Um, mm -hmm. So I really love that you wanted to push that conversation forward. How has that been uh, an important or integral role in your life? This this idea of transitioning through grief. Yeah, to be truthful, I think I'm still you know grieving years of loss and separation from identities, from death, from relationships, and things like that. So it's still in the process. But one of the most profound things for me is really understanding that emotions aren't my enemy. They're really messengers sent to guide me from the grieving process or darkness into light, right? To learn how to really create this space around them for them to come through without judgment, shame, or any really attachment to them, right? And that has allowed me to really grieve and to really process what's going on. Yeah. So take us back. You said you grew up in New Hampshire, uh, you know, uh, a child of you know, divorced family and, you know, your Greek roots. Um, what were those years like and what have you sort of gleaned from them that helps you in your life now? Yeah. Interesting enough, I'm back in New Hampshire now at 30, 38 years old. But uh, So I grew up in New Hampshire, firstborn son in a Greek family, second of the three original kids. My dad's traditional, traditional Greek man, Greek family, very, you know, hard work ethic, culture, business oriented entrepreneurs. Um, and my mom was a fiery rebellion. She was a lot younger than my dad. So they kind of had different opposing lives. And so I learned a little bit of both from everyone. Um, but essentially the biggest takeaway was a few different takeaways on the really positive side of things. I learned about hard work and discipline and the things that you need to cultivate in order to make it through tough times through my dad's side of the family, through entrepreneurship. And really I had a job at like seven years old, eight years old. So like it was just inbred in me. And then through my mom, I learned to really adapt to tough times because my mom was a single mom on government sport most of the time, kind of transitioning from houses and learning to figure out her life. So I learned how to really, you know, appreciate the smaller things in life through her. But the biggest thing that I can look back thinking really what made the events unfold the way they did was there there's the negative in my mind imprinted from growing up that made me feel as if I was never enough. My father, you know, he did the best with what he would with what he knew at the time told me to man up at six years old. <laughs> and what does that even mean now? Or what does it even mean to a six year old boy back in, you know, 1990? So that really, inherited this i inherited this story of okay whatever i do it's never going to be enough so i need to create an identity that tells people that i am enough and so growing up as a teenager that's kind of hard to get involved in sports you, you know you force yourself to find identities and those weren't working so i went down a back road i got into drugs and alcohol as a teenager early on and that um made me appear cool right? it's interesting because the things that were cool in high school are no longer cool today as an adult and vice versa i no longer drink i'm sober and um, that didn't really work out. And then 9-11 hit. And also when I had felt like I had nowhere to go, it was a failure and things like that. 9-11 hit and I found something to look greater for. So I joined the Marines and I was like, well, if people think I'm a failure, people think I'm a loser. My dad doesn't think I'm enough. I might as well join the best of the best and become a Marine. So I became a Marine, not knowing that I was just running from the things of the past, right? That they would be there waiting for me eventually one day. And so after 10 years of honorable service, and going through, you know, combat and seeing all things and, you know, my best friend dying, I got out of the Marine Corps and returned back to New Hampshire. All these things are waiting for me. And so I was so lost at 27 years old, that idea that I still was not enough made me chase another identity. I got an MBA, I chose to go corporate route, I got married, started a family, all so fast, never giving myself a chance to reflect on who I was and what was really driving me. And 
of course, that came crashing down when I got an unexpected divorce. So this belief that I wasn't enough. And divorce made me even feel that way even more. And that came to a place where I, I almost took my life. And thankfully, you know, a higher pull, something saved me. And I got a lot of help and, you know, pulled myself out of here, was able to write a book and create a whole entire brand and story around it. Yeah. What really resonated to me, not only about being a man, because I was told that same language or that language was used on me, uh, is this idea of that the darkness allowed you to see the light, that you found your strength through the darkness, which was really powerful because most people think of darkness as something to avoid rather than to lean into. Yeah, I think it, it's really hard to do and um, it doesn't like happen instantly. You know, I, I really do credit my years in the Marine Corps to being able to kind of find that part of me because the Marine Corps really forced you to face a lot of fears and overcome fears and really figure out who you are as a human. And I think anything that gets you to serve something greater does that, a willingness to serve something greater than yourself. But there comes a point in our times, uh, a man's life, it's called the catabasis, right? The descent into the underworld um, where basically you have a fall of status at some point in your life that really forces you to go against everything you thought to be true. And so for me, the catabasis was the divorce, you know, the falling apart of my status and all of the things that really I had to sit in the underworld. There was no immediately pulling myself back up because it wasn't going to work because that's what I did my whole entire life. So I literally had to sit with everything that I was afraid of most, this fear of not being enough, this fear of failure, this fear of going broke, this fear of being in debt and everything that made me feel as a man. And what I realized is that there was a lot of wisdom to be found in those wounds. You know, one of my previous mentors, now good friend, Trevor Bowen, he's, he's says the garden of the wounds, which came from um, Robert Masters, a famous men's coach, right? So basically what you do is you learn to sit with everything you are, the things that you're afraid of, the things that cause the most pain and sit without reflection and judgment. You know, you can do this in help with safe container. And eventually you find wisdom from your wounds. Not all, but most wounds have wisdom. Yeah, and you speak to sort of three powerful pivot points or points in your life where it's caused the most transformation, which is when you joined the Marine, when you left, and then when you filed for divorce, um, which is pretty hard things to sort of get through. How did you manage? Yeah, so the reason why I picked those three things is because there were all points in a life where I had to make a choice to go against like the conventional wisdom of life, right? You're 17, go to college, do something or get a job, right? I'll join the military. No one's ever joined the military before in my in my family. It's all new. 9-11 happened. Let's do it. So kind of like the hero's journey, right? Uh, accepting your call to adventure without even knowing it. And then my that took me 10 years to go through that whole journey. Then I began another hero's journey, which was leaving the Marines after being more than halfway a retirement. That's really hard to do because I could have stayed, I would have retired this year at 38 years old. And so that was really, that was a really hard choice to make, but I made it because I felt something inside with me needed to be more. I wasn't sure that that was. And then I ended up getting married and started a family. It was a whole nother hero's journey. But in reality, that was my comfort zone. I, I was attached to this identity, to this outcome, to these milestones. And when that all came crashing down, it was another unexpected, it was an unexpected call I had to answer to really say, okay, like, because most women file for divorce, right? The statistics are like 80%, almost 90% of divorces are, are female led, like driven. I filed for divorce. I did. And that took a lot because I knew that my world was going to come crashing down. I knew it was going to destroy both of our worlds, 
But I knew in the end we would be both happy. And now we're both happy. We co-parent well together. We have a beautiful daughter and things are actually pretty good. Um, but at the, at the time it wasn't. And in the process of doing that, it really, you know, taught me like to make those tough choices. Yeah. You know, and, and as a coach, you know, you speak so eloquently about seeing yourself for the first time, like creating that safe container to help yourself. How have you found greater wisdom in that process? Yeah, I think creating a container is so important, you know, and that means like if you don't if you don't feel like you have a safe space to truly show up to the world as your most authentic self or you're in the middle of a transition or the middle of a life change and no one's there to help you, then, you know, one of the most powerful things that I have done is, well, so many, but like the first step was to really look at myself in the mirror. And I think Louise Hay, she's like, the queen of affirmations, the, the boss of all this stuff, but mirror work was powerful. And I had a mentor. I never heard about mirror work before. You know, I was Marine, like whatever, I'll look in thousand yards out, no problem. And we'll just get it done. But I looked in the mirror and I couldn't recognize who I was or what was going on in tears. And she's like, when was the last time you said, I love you to yourself in front of the mirror? And I'm like, huh? What? And, and I said that like in front of the mirror, I was like, you know, I love you. And tears started coming down. I felt all the things come through. And since then mirror work has kind of been, you know, a staple in my life. I do it, you know, a few times a week. I can't say I do it every day. I'll be honest, but I do it a few times a week. You know, I, I catch myself saying like, you know, I love you, George. Like, Hey, you know, you're a good looking guy. Like it just, all these things I want to hear. And it, it really does work. And uh, that's been a powerful thing for me in my life. Yeah. I, I know when we began this interview, I asked you to put your superpower, um, but in the article, you mentioned two things, which I found very interesting, which is writing and breath work. Um, is that a daily practice for you or how do you make time for it? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I was, I stumped when you said superpower, but yeah. So my main, like what I believe I'm really good at is really teaching people to unlock the deeper parts of themselves through movement and breath work. Right. And movement can come in so many forms. You got yoga, you got exercise, you got walking, whatever it is, whatever that gets you to move your body. Because I believe that in our bodies, we hold short, shallow breaths, stagnant members of the past, unable to walk them in new opportunities and move through transitions, you know, however you want to do it. So movement is a way to move that stagnant energy, right? Yoga, training your body, CrossFit, running, taking daily walks, and also breath work. And breath work is a practice that requires a lot of commitment, like deep breath work. You don't have to do deep breath work, but I found deep breath work. I mean, when you're really sitting with yourself, breathing for 15, 20 minutes in a safe space, that you really release a lot of untouched trauma and emotions and feelings because it's stuck inside your body. And so that's really what I'm, I believe I'm good at these days and what I help people with uh, the most. Yeah. Great. So once it come to the back to really the, the purpose of today's conversation is how do you define resilience? Hmm. I think it just comes from giving yourself courage to be able to sit with whatever makes you uncomfortable at the time and whatever you're resisting. And then the more that you come to a place of awareness when you're feeling like you want to run or when you're feeling like life is heavy or where you feel like life is overwhelming in the middle of a change, the more resilient you become because you're just developing that inner peace, that inner courage to sit with whatever makes you uncomfortable, right? And the more you do that over time, the more you're gonna be able to really make it through hardships in life. It's a, David Goggins has a really good one. I know he's rah-rah, maybe for a lot of people listening to this, but like he has a good concept that I really like. It's called the cookie jar, 
right? So the more that you go through tough times in life, the more you go through difficult things and become more aware of it, the more you can put in your cookie jar. So when a, a more difficult time arises, a unexpected life change or sickness, death, illness, whatever it is, you can kind of pull from your cookie jar and it makes it a little bit easier to kind of get through whatever you're processing. Because you look back in life and you say, well, if I went through X, Y, Z, then I know that I can get through this no matter how tough it is. And just that little bit of faith in your story allows you to overcome that tough time. In the article, I mentioned also this um, comparison to resilience and courage. Do you see them as one and the same or do you see them as different? I think they're, you know, they're both traits that you can kind of develop together, right? And they're very similar. Um, I think courage is found within and resiliency is like that, that investment over time, like in a bank account, right? Yeah. And I just absolutely love the, the David Crosby quote you have, to suffer, that is common to all, but to suffer, smile, and keep your composure, that is remarkable. Like yeah, that quote singularly, like literally hit me in my heart. I loved it. I found that uh, when I was in the middle of a divorce and it was like, wow, okay, like suffering, you know, is part of life, but we don't have to let it shape who we are, right? It does dictate your values um, and your dreams. How has suffering been a catalyst for creating transformation in your own life? Yeah, so it comes down to choice. Suffering is a choice. It really is, yeah. right? Easier said than done. I get it. Doesn't mean that I don't have my my times where I'm not sad or, or depressed or angry, but those those aren't who I am. And the same thing, like if you're going through a tough time right now, like that that pain you're feeling, that suffering, that that emotional angst, whatever, like that's not who you are. To suffer, like you are literally choosing to say, like I'm suffering right now, right? If you can get yourself out of that mindset, that place of like I'm suffering, then you can choose to see that like there are many opportunities in front of you despite not being able to see it right now. And it's one of those things where life does happen for you, right? In certain things. And you know, you're you are you're a product of that. Many of us are, many of the people that you work with are, your book that you just came out with, right? Like you can choose to turn certain circumstances in your life into places of transformation, right? Not always, but you can choose. Like you can either choose to suffer and be in a pit of wallow and be the victim, or you can choose to say like, I'm not gonna let this get the best of me. Like I know I can get through this and I know that something else will come from it. Yeah, I asked a curious question on purpose in the article about um, something that you considered impossible, but you did it anyway. <clears throat> Could you speak more about that? Oh yeah, can you remind me? Is it the is it the book? Um, it's really about sort of like the brutal war between the in, internal and external world, and then also telling yourself you weren't good enough, and then failure came up. A lot of things about un unworthiness also came up in the article. Yeah, I kind of so what I, what I thought now was impossible is now totally possible even more. I I think this whole idea of basically if you would have known me a few years ago and asked me who George was like. I would have never thought of writing, journaling, doing breath work, talking about emotions, even raising a daughter in today's world. I would have laughed at you in reference to really the things that I'm doing because in my mind, like I had a one track path to life, like this was the way to succeed and I was on that path. And so the impossible has occurred because I realized like life is this crazy journey, like in this existence is, it's crazy if you think about it to 
for me and you to be here at this exact moment at what I don't even time is 12 or something in the afternoon on Eastern Standard Time is it's a miracle because there's so many different things happening in our life. And so I think being able to understand that and being able to live my dream authentically, that never seemed like a possibility to me before. I am more free in my life than I ever have been, right? In reference to trying to live according to others' expectations and needs. And I think when, for me, that's the impossible, you know? Yeah, and I think you also pinpointed it with a, with a very actionable word, which is the pause. Asking yourself, are you disconnected or connected? Yeah, I actually do write about that in the book a lot. Yeah, so I, I talk about this chapter in the book. It's called The Headless Human. And it was, it was uh, in, in a thousand yard stare and essentially where I was disconnected from my body. Right? I was just walking around on autopilot. And there is a moment in there when I had to really stop and breathe and reflect. Like, okay, what are you doing right now? Are you running around the chaos of life trying to do things because that's what you think life should be? Or are you connected to your heart and connected to your body and really practicing what is happening right now? You know, and I think that question, are you disconnected or connected can happen. You can ask yourself when you can close your eyes and just take a deep breath and just give yourself permission to be in the moment as is versus trying to run around a million miles a minute, right? So what are your five steps someone can be more? Yeah. So... There's so many, but I believe that these five are, um, in the words, might be a little different in, in, than what I wrote in the article a little bit ago. But the first one is really find a way to you know optimize your body, mm-hmm. and that can mean so many different things. But look, your your body is your is your own machine, and the way that you treat your body is the way that you're going to show up into the world. So if you're not accepting your body, if you're not eating well, if you're not sleeping, if you're not staying hydrated, all these things are going to cause you to show up as a direct correlation of how you treat your body. So find a way to start really optimizing your body by getting more sleep, drinking more water, eating healthier, moving daily. And you're going to notice that you have a lot more clarity, intention, focus, and just really acceptance with who you are as a human. And I'm not saying that you have to be like six-pack Joe or, or Sally on the beach or, or go to a gym every single day, just move your body a few times a week and just sleep well. You're going to see a big difference, right? So optimizing your body. Number two, there's like, you got to create space in your daily life for just disconnection from what it was just right before our podcast. I went on a daily walk and I take daily walks because one, it's part of movement. And two, it really allows me to detach from the chaos of life. And I call it the, the, the spaces between. So when, when you take a daily walk, it's two, it does two things, right? You get a little bit of movement and then you all allow yourself to be engaged with life as is without judgment. And it's pretty cool. It's a cool thing. If you don't take daily walks, go try it. And like Sir Kierkegaard, a famous philosopher, he said like, life is a path we must walk it. And he was known for really walking around the streets of, I think it was Denmark. It was extremely busy. He would walk all day and come back and write and reflect. So it's been around for centuries and we're ambulatory, right? So why not take the daily walk and give yourself space? Um, Number three. You spoke about doing the hard thing. Yeah. Okay. That's hard. That's hard for people to do. So the first thing in the morning, you know, we, we, what are we doing? We're caught on our phones. We're, we're, we're immediately like sucked into the adrenaline of the world. Right. So you can actually do create space and do the hard thing. And what I mean is do the hard thing is 
what is your most important task for the day? Like, what is it that you know that's going to be a quote unquote needle mover in your life, right? Like a needle mover meaning like, how's it going to get you closer towards your overall mission, your overall purpose, your overall passion, right? Or whatever it is that you have going on. Do that the first thing in your morning. And I learned that from a mentor, Craig Valentine, a long time ago when I was a personal trainer. And it just really allowed for more clarity in the rest of the day. You know, and today as a single father, when I do the hard things first in the morning, when I pick up my daughter, I'm not, I'm not working. I'm engaged with her because I've done all the work that I needed to do. All right. Another one is you spoke to it earlier. It's about every choice comes with a consequence. And I think that's very important to, to even speak to further about because people don't think of it in terms of what's going to happen from now until a certain amount of time. They think about maybe the past or they think about what's, what's satisfying them in the present. Um, so I just love the fact that you spoke about that. It's again, everything you do is a choice, right? And it, the more choices you make that in our alignment with your heart, your dreams or directions, the better you're going to feel, or you can make a choice in a life of excuses and victimhood and all these things. And you'll lead to a life of emptiness, right? You can't choose both. So you might as well choose the ones that are aligned with your direction and your dreams and your hearts to feel more fulfilled, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a man, as a woman, as, as a human, whatever it is. Right. And, uh, I think it's very, very important. Um, and, you know, another one is, you know, if you're not journaling or meditation, like, I don't know if I put that one in there, but it's so extremely important and there's no one way a wrong way to do it. You know, if you can just have a reflective process in the morning, like what do I need to get done today? How am I feeling? You know, what's the biggest thing on my mind to get it out of your head and onto paper, you close the loop. And then at the end of the day, just ask, how did I do my best today? You know, what, what bothered me the most? And then you're not going to bed with all that emotion in your head. You're just letting it go. I think those are some of the things that are extremely important. Um, which also speaks to this idea of win every day, which is what you pointed to look for the winnings, like look for the silver linings in your life. Yeah. So that, yeah. Reflection journaling. I think it's so important. We forget about the smallest things in life. Yeah. Right. And so I start my day with a win by putting my feet on the ground saying, Oh, hello, you're awake. And then hydrating and sitting down and meditating and then celebrating and then celebrating like what I've done in the past and what I'm looking forward to and all these things. And then really reflecting on that. And the littlest win could be you got up today, right? It really could be, especially if you're in the middle of a tough time. I mean, you probably know that, right? And if you're in the middle of a tough time, you can celebrate like I got up today, even though I didn't want to, right? Or I took a walk, you know, I took out the garbage, whatever it is, celebrate those smaller things in life. And, you know, it's just like gratitude. It's gonna, you know, snowball effect into your life in a positive way. Would really love to transition now into what I call a brainstorming session. Uh, I asked a question right. about creating a movement, and you mentioned something about taking a young man out of their environment so that they could maybe experience new things or get them out of maybe bad or tough situations. I'd love to for you to speak further on that. Maybe we could generate a conversation in and around that experience. Yeah, you know, I think it's um, it's so important today. You know, I have nephews who are growing up, uh, you know, I have a, I have a younger brother who's kind of been in and out of jail, you know, uh, another brother who's been in addiction. And I think young men, young boys need this sort of initiation to go through this guidance in life that shows them like really what it's like to experience life at a younger age and to really challenge themselves so they can develop confidence, resiliency, and things like that. But they, they can't really do it 
in the confines of their own home or the schooling, like those are great ways to grow up. But like, I mean, they need to go and get away from their everyday life so they can see what it's like to learn more about themselves, right? Really detaching from every day. It's kind of like a combination of the things we just talked about, but doing it in a safe space that allows them to really have an open mind and in 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 heart to experience what it's like to live and to be, you know, a man in today's world. Right. There's so many things going on in the world that if a kid is brought up in a place that doesn't have a father or doesn't have a mother or is in, is in a really hardship, then that's what they're going to believe for the rest of their lives. That that is a product of it. That maybe they're not enough, that you know, they're never going to be worthy, like that they're not loved. Right. But they have to learn that all that comes from within. It doesn't come from without. And just because they grew up that way doesn't mean that life can be that way. You know? Yeah. I mean, this really takes me back to 2019. I actually uh, attended men's work. I didn't know much about it. I somehow stumbled across this. It was uh, um, 18 of us in the Catskills, myself and like 17 other men. Uh, it was a weekend and we did so much things from breath work to these different um, writing prompts to journaling to outdoor activities. Um, but just being in and around that energy and that safe space really challenged me because um, it even broke down some of my walls um, with how I perceived what being a man is. And really the movement around men's groups and all these is really about that men need to upgrade in the light of the yeah. Me Too movement and all these things. Men need to like just get better. Um, and so I just love the fact that you really spoke to the fact that it starts from within, right? It starts from... Um, inspiring and challenging other people to look beyond their circumstance or look beyond the bad stuff that's happened to them. Yeah, since then, I've seen a lot of um, cool little places that, that do that. Um, I just always thought it would be really cool to do one maybe where I grew up, but it's not really in my immediate cards. Um, but you never know. I've talked with some organizations locally and things like that and, and went and checked out some like kids' homes and stuff like that. <clears throat> but the thing is, when you get deep into that work requires a lot of licensure and 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 things that would take more than just one man right of course of course but or, I, I think really it's the it's the desire to want to afford and i really challenge and also um, open the door to people uh you know individuals men especially to want to go in that direction and and to you know you know create a better a better future for themselves yeah there's a, there's a really good book that i wrote uh not that i wrote that i read by robert masters he says head, heart, guts, right? You got to be connected to all three. And a lot of men are, you know, either one, two, and that's about it, right? Hardly ever all three. And so when you can learn to kind of use all three to show up to the world as your most authentic self, like that's where freedom is found. 100%. Totally great. Well, George, can you tell my audience and my listeners where they can find out more about you and your book and everything else you do in the world? Yeah, thanks. So the best the best way to know my story a little bit more is grab a copy of Nowhere to Go. It's available everywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, right? You can grab it for me or just digitally for one dollar at my website, The Art of Tough Transitions. Um, that's also my website where I provide a lot of coaching and courses of breath work and things like that. And then you know, you can find me on the webs on Instagram. So it's underscore George Clancis, and I'm writing articles all over the place. So yeah. If you so the thing is if you search George Clancis, I can't say that I pop up first because there's a million of us because it's a Greek name. But if you go to theartoftoughtransition.com or look up nowhere to go, you'll be able to find me. Wonderful, George. This was 
a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so I much. I appreciate you having me on. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here's How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.